Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims to put Stokes from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Welcome to another episode of the Saints FC podcast and um, I suppose it's a little bit of a new tradition but this week we have another new person on the show. I still have Tom with me, he's on my left. Hello, Hello Tom. everyone, hello. Um, and we have another chap here um, over to my far left, uh, Jason, welcome onto the show, how's it going? Good, good, thanks uh, for having me on, I'm pretty excited to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. So those um, regular listeners to the show, you'll probably remember we occasionally get rather lengthy emails from across the ponds um, from the United States of America, um, and they tend to come from Jason. Uh, Jason messaged me in one of his long emails and told me that he was uh, heading over to Southampton for the Bournemouth game. Um, so I thought, you know, whilst you was uh, staying in, you know, in the relatively local area, certainly more local than Florida, which is where you normally reside, we might as well we might as well get you on and hear about your experiences of your first Saints game. So I mean, it was only what four weeks ago we were listening to Matthew talk about. Yeah, that was diff- That was a different experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different say. experience. So I can't wait to hear your first your first Saints game experience. And we've we've tried not to talk about it too much. Yeah, you know, whilst we're getting ready for the show, so that we can we can just hear it for the first time from Jason a little bit later. Um, I suppose let's go through the kind of general admin stuff. If you want to email like Jason does, it's saintsfcpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, because Jason's here, we don't have that many emails to go through this week. Um, apart from Ryan uh, Borowski, he emailed in just to ask if we'd still do the podcast if we're going to be in the championship. Yeah, hundred percent. Which would, but we're not going to be in the championship, right? No, it's a moot point. Yeah. Um, and I think that was it. That was it really from the emails. Oh, actually, that's not totally true. I also have an apology to make to Nick. Um, Nick listened to the last episode and he likes to listen to it either at the breakfast table with his kids or sometimes in his uh, antique shop. And those of you that listened to the last episode, um, you remember we had... Uh, we had our, our good old friend, William Porteous Blythe. Ah, yes. Yeah. The name and uh, vocabulary of a pirate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, apologies for all the swearing that we had from um, from uh, William. So he's, he's not here today, so, I mean, we'll try and keep things a little bit tidier, I think, he's in just terms a, of language. He's just a very passionate guy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so, yeah, apologies to Nick for that. We'll, we'll try and keep things a little bit cleaner today. Um uh, I also one of the things that I tend to do. I always say like email us in, you know, go on Twitter. Um, you can also leave comments on the YouTube. So we try and video these episodes for the Ugly Inside YouTube channel, and we actually get quite a lot of YouTube comments. So I've I've dragged some out here um, because I, I don't give the YouTube commenters that much of an airing. So I think um, you know, let's go with it. Um, I don't know. Do we start with this one? I mean, we're going to ruin the language thing yeah, straight you're away. Yeah, lie to everyone immediately. Yeah, I think we are. Beep. 
Cannot believe how tate, how we totally fell apart when Giroud came on. This is talking about the Chelsea game. Yep. So the Saints losing to Chelsea. Uh, this is comes from Dave Beach. He comments quite a lot. Um, you know, someone take out his legs before he even comes on. You know, every single time he destroys it's us. Predictable. Uh, it is so predictable. And you know, what a surprise when we got to the semi final. He scores again. Anyway, we'll get to that in the future. Um, Graham, he says he agree with the disappointment sentiments, but Saints will not retain top players whilst the club is seen as a stepping stone to top clubs. I think he's probably right about that. Um, it's players' agents stirring up discontent within Saints. Better players and big clubs able to pay the ridiculous wages that woo our players away, and only when Saints have a much larger worldwide fan base. For the business side to prosper, will big club status be achieved? Well, we're starting to get a few friends uh, from abroad now. I'm looking across to one on my left-hand side. Our second American yeah, this second, season. Yeah, second American that we've had on the show this season. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've got any views on how you think you, we would break that market. I mean, presumably it's going to be key just to be in the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think there's potential. I mean, the NFL is kind of going through some turmoil, I think, with some different things that have happened. and So I think there's potential for... Although what really hurts is the U.S. didn't make the World Cup. So yeah. I think that's going to set back soccer viewership in the U.S. quite a bit. So Do you think, yeah, because I, I suppose you get, I mean, there's not that many America, good American players in the Premier League at the moment, are there? But we've have had our, our few. I mean, who have your particular favorites been in Premier League era? Uh, is it Brian McBride? Brian McBride, yeah. Because yeah. his name sounded like a fake footballer's name. <laughs> yeah. Tim Howard, the Tim goalkeeper. Howard. He was yeah. great. Yeah, he was good. I mean, I'm going to go for a real blast from past. Do you remember Alexi Lalas? Yeah, Did he beer. play for Coventry yeah. City? And he was also the singer in uh, Spin Doctors, where they're famous hit Two Princes. <laughs> Two Princes? Wasn't it Cotton Eye Joe, they're famous? Or is that different? Uh, no, that's Rednecks. Oh, that's Rednecks. Oh, sorry. Anyway, um, let's move on. Um, oh, this is interesting. Simon Hill, this is a comment about William Porteous Blythe. This man is, <laughs> this man is insane. <laughs> Uh, uh, Matthew Barnes yeah. says relegated teams always have a poor defence that's why we're down yeah well I guess duh, on us um, um, not all the all the reviews of William Porteous Blythe the Pirate were negative so Nate Dog he says John get Will to come on more often he speaks his mind and shows genuine passion like a real politician and then he does lots of laughy faces um, I'll come come on as well if you need me well Nate let's let's get you on why not um, also totally agree as Will we need to protest as fans this board has been taking us for a ride the last three to four years Problems that have led to Southampton's current predicament caused by the complete gross incompetence and mismanagement of our board. We need some serious changes upstairs, more accountability from the end. You know what? I think if we'd lost to Bournemouth, we probably this would have been a really big talking point, but it's amazing how quickly things change, isn't it? You know, all, yeah, all it, it takes is a win. There's optimism a little yeah. bit. There's a glimmer of hope. Yeah. Um, and uh, John Kedward says, no Europe for the beardy remainer in the foreseeable future, just Brentford and Blackburn, I'm afraid. So. <laughs> I thought that might I thought that might be me. Yeah. And then I was like, no, it's really important. Yeah, it's really important. Also, it's me. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there we go. Let's, let's just try and keep the politics off this show. I think, you know, it's, it's hard enough, like, going through all the arguments between different Saints fans without bringing politics there's, into this. There's too much politics in football anyway isn't yeah it? although having said that i was on the total saints podcast yesterday which i think is is now out talking about safe standing um with councillor pope who is a southampton independent councillor um campaigning for safe standing so that got quite political anyway but you know so there you go i'll save the politics for other people's podcasts Thanks, um, yeah <laughs> um 
On the Matthew Markstone episode, yes, lads, it's great to see my favourite Two Saints podcast collaborate. Enough respect there. Um, what we're talking about, Leticia episode. Leticia's a top bloke. Yeah, of course he is. Um, thanks for letting us hear this. Wish it was the full show, though. Very enjoyable. You should have heard the stuff. I'll tell you what, if you thought... Um, if you thought William Porteous Blythe was bad at swearing, Matt Leticia, I had to cut a lot of stuff out of that episode. Quite fruity language. Yeah, that. I mean, it was, we had quite a lot of fruity language anyway, but I mean, some of the stories were just pretty outrageous. Um, yeah, so if you ever see me at a Saints game, just come up and ask me directly <laughs> and I'll tell you what he said um, about certain people. Um, it's very funny. Good, good listen. Anyway, should we, should we just get on to, get on to the, the normal stuff? So... Um, the last uh, show with William was before the Leicester game. So, I mean, we should kind of review Saints versus Leicester, but, I mean, what was there to review in that game? One shot on target. Yeah. We got a point. It felt, um, I mean, it did feel an awful lot like we were watching Claude Puel again, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, um, and that's history repeating there, isn't it, uh, at Leicester? It's not an exciting game, but too, but too often this season we've lost those games 1-0. You know, we have, and, and at least this was a we ground out a point. Ground and, out a point, yeah. And, right, Leicester aren't playing particularly well at the moment. They are a very good team, and they had Mares and they had Vardy, and, um, you know, I think most Saints would have taken a point for yeah, that game. Yeah, nice to keep them quiet. What, I mean, did you get a chance to see this, or was this whilst you're heading out? Or? I, I did see it. Yeah. Uh, not much stands out. I mean, it was a nil-nil draw, yeah. but I, it seemed to me that that was the game plan all along, get a point no matter the cost, mm. and then, you know, kind of build from there, so... I mean, it certainly did look like Mark Hughes was targeting, you know, a point there, safe point, kind of slowly, slowly, which which is odd because at the point going into that game, it really felt like it was one of these must-win games. But maybe it's just about not losing. Yeah. You know, after the crushing disappointment of Arsenal and, and Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. maybe it was just about about consolidating and showing them that they, they don't have to lose. And giving the defence and a goalkeeper a chance to keep a clean sheet as well. You know, yeah. I think it's not something that we've done for a while. Anyway, so I mean, I think we can move on from that. And then let's let's bring up Wembley because it is always fun to go to Wembley. Um, I was quite fortunate with this. I, I got my, me and my brother a ticket through the kind of normal means. Um, and then I actually ended up getting a couple of corporate tickets through work, which was quite fortunate, which meant my dad was able to come. So he flew all the way over from Portugal um, to watch Saints. Um, he has seen Saints before, so he knows exactly what he's getting himself into. Um, he's seen Saints, you know, this this season before as well. Um, you know, it's always great to go to, go to Wembley. Um, we watched my sister and her fiancé running in the London Marathon. They both did very well, despite the, the really warm weather. Um, and we headed up to, to Wembley. And I was, uh, I was feeling actually quite optimistic in a weird way because I, I felt kind of after the Premier League game where we'd gone two goals up, you know, we, we showed that we could we could get the better of Chelsea for most of a game. But it was a different kettle of fish, wasn't it? Chelsea were up for this one. Yeah, and I think they, they made their quality show and players that we kind of did a number on in the last game, even like Kante, you know, like at St. Mary's, he wasn't really visible. Um, and only when Giroud came on and, you know, he does, when he does, he did what he does against us every time. But yeah, the FA Cup was different. Their game management was much better. They, they bullied us a lot more. They wanted it more. And I think we tried, you know, went brave with a two up front and it just didn't work. No. And it was almost like the sacrifice of putting two up front was to have a completely defensive midfield, which then negated 
having anyone up front because we just couldn't get the ball to anyone. And and like Charlie Austin, Chen Long, the ball wouldn't stick at their feet. And first half, I think we were glad to come out of that nil-nil. Yeah, I mean, I, I just got up into Club Wembley. My dad and I were having a, a pint before the game when the uh, I finally managed to get enough signal on my phone to see the the team lineups, and I was just I was just absolutely baffled by it. So we had yeah the two up front, five across the back, which I was expecting, but then the yeah, three defensive midfielders just seemed really really bizarre. And I just thought, you know, what's he doing here? And I think I made some tweet kind of a comment. It's like, oh, is Mark Hughes kind of figured out football because. You don't go into a football match with no creative midfield whatsoever, do you? And it, it, it was weird. I mean, did you get to watch it in the US? Or? Yeah, I did. I, I saw it. Um, and I, I thought the same thing as you did. And I saw your tweet. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but I think you saw in that what happened a little bit in the Bournemouth match, which was making Lamina a little bit more of an offensive player, trying to get him to push forward and be a little more creative. And I think... In hindsight, that was pretty important to do that in that match. Yeah. I mean, it didn't really work out against Chelsea, but I think it set the stage for Bournemouth a little bit. Yeah. Maybe. I, I guess you know, maybe he was even using it as a bit of an experiment. Is it, yeah. You know, I could, mean, could he, this be something that he could use in the run-in, which I think Mark Hughes probably is more concerned but, about? But then he kind of tried it as well in the uh, West Ham game. Yeah. The infamous West Ham game. We went five at the back, um, two up front. Except with Gabby Dini and, and Austin, and that just didn't work at all. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of players that are quite maligned like, by a lot of people, me included, like Redmond and maybe Tadic. Is that is that one drink? Yeah, that's that's one shot of vodka. One there. Shot, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know uh, that uh, that maybe are really important to the team, and you but you don't notice actually until they're not there. No. Um, I mean, what, what? Like, let's go back to the formation. So, right. My dad and I have been going to football games together for years and years and years. And the first ever football game he took me to was Bristol Rovers versus Tramia Rovers. Um, and Bristol Rovers were in, I think, Division 2 or Division 3. I, it was before it was all called the Premier League and stuff. And they were terrible. They had um, a central defender called Andy Tilson. And, and, you know, this is back in the kind of like early 90s. When football players had like a special talent, in the, especially in the lower leagues. They, they might be good at one thing and nothing else. And Andy Tilson was a man who could head the ball the entire length of the pitch. It was phenomenal. He'd warm up with a goalkeeper who was practicing his goal kicks and Andy Tilson would head them straight back to his back to his hands, you know, from the halfway line and beyond. And Bristol Rovers used to play really ugly long ball football, apart from a very brief moment when they had... Um, Marcus Stewart and oh, um, yeah, Marcus Stewart. I can't remember the name of the other guy who went on to play for Crystal Palace. Um, it comes to me in a Andy bit. Andy Johnson? No, it wasn't Andy Johnson. But um, we were watching Saints throughout that first half and it just felt like Mark Hughes had adopted Bristol Rovers tactics. There was no creative midfield. It was like two up front, eight men behind the ball. And like every time we get it, hoof it up to Shane Long, hope that someone spills it, hope that Shane Long will beat the man to it. And you can see even Shane Long was getting a bit bored of trying by by the end of the first half. But it was a bit of a miracle that we were in at nil-nil because Chelsea had such good players. Eden Hazard was well on it. Yeah, I mean, I watched the Swansea game yesterday and Eden Hazard is a... It's just like, he just sees space. He makes space. So if you look at how effective he is compared to... And I just said it shouldn't criticize him, but like a Redmond, you know, yeah. where like, and how much he hurts you. Every single thing he does, he hurts. And Kante is the same. And yeah, we couldn't really handle it. And we, I think it was a miracle to be honest, going to nil nil at the time. 
How, how did you feel at halftime at 0-0? Oh, think, you're, oh my you're God, grateful. we're still in this. You're absolutely grateful. Yeah. I mean, it was... Because like you, I was hopeful going into the match, but pretty quickly you realize this could get ugly fast. Yeah. And so being nil 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 at halftime is is just you're just grateful. <laughs> and also, uh, not conceding with Giroud on the pitch is almost yeah for, for a like whole winning forty five minutes. We I mean, get, like a European place for for that or something <laughs> alone. Um, didn't last very long, though, did it? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to admit that, I mean, the, the service, despite the fact that we Club Wembley has all of these extra bars and stuff, and it's supposed to be the kind of posh seats and people pay a fortune to be in there or whatever, the guys behind the bar were so terribly slow that, like, I, it's I was... Like local people. Oh, that's what I was finding. It's, yeah. like it's like local kids. Yeah, and I, I was literally, I was trying to drink that pint so fast. I had about three minutes to drink it before the second half started. And... Um, I failed and it took me about three and a half minutes to drink it. And by the time that half minute had passed, I came out and uh, I could see us picking the ball out of the net. Um, the inevitable had happened. Yeah. And and then actually watching the replay back on the big screen, because I, I literally I missed it by a few seconds. They had it on the big screen afterwards. I mean, that was incredible from Giroud. I expect Giroud to score goals against us where he's kind of like the last man at the back post and somehow Cedric Suarez is marking him. I don't expect him to leave four Saints players He's, on their he's, asses, he's like in the skillful. box. He did that scorpion kick goal. He's a surprisingly skillful player. He's a brilliant yeah. player. Like he's a player that is, would have been the difference between like Saints being where they are now and Saints if they'd somehow managed to convince him to move to the South Coast and mm. somehow found the money. He, that's well, hang on, the, should we talk about finding the money? How much does Giroud cost Chelsea? Ten million or something, twelve million. How much did Carrillo cost Southampton? Nineteen. Yeah. So we could have chucked seven extra million quid at Giroud. I I actually think it was a little bit more than that. I'm just going to look this up to confirm. I think um, it might have been about fifteen or seventeen million. What for Giroud? Yeah. But it, he's worth every penny of it, isn't he? Yeah. In a in a world where Carrillo is worth uh, nineteen, and I think Carrillo is the answer to a pub quiz question, isn't he? In the future, um, Giroud is worth every penny, and he he punished Saints and. Yeah, he just he just did us again. What can um, you say? Yeah. Um, so I mean, I couldn't really complain about that goal. Eight, Eighteen million pounds. So you know, same, about the same amount. About, about the same price. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Giroud versus Carrillo. I mean, they're, they're kind of they're, like you buy Carrillo wanting to get a Giroud type, don't you? Someone who can head the ball, someone who's got a good touch, someone who can bring players into the game, hold up the ball. You know, bring in your creative midfielders. Say, so, you know, the, uh, Chelsea have got Giroud and Hazard, and we've got. And they've got Kante as well. Yeah, and Kante. Who, who is ostensibly a defensive midfielder, but again, like Hazard, just finds space yeah. and finds people every single time. And Willian, who doesn't even start all of their games because. But he's, but he's, a but he's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like first choice for the Brazil team. Yeah. I mean, say, so, I mean, you, you look at it, and obviously Chelsea you'd expect to beat us. And I, and I remember chatting to some Chelsea fans uh, recently and they said, oh, you know, the team that you saw play at St. Mary's was not up for the fight. The team, which you know, is frightening considering they get three goals in eight minutes against us. Um, but he's like, you know, the team that will come out in the semi-final will be much better. And he was, he was bang on. He was totally right. Um, and they could have had a lot more goals. But then you know, this is the funny thing about football, isn't it? Because we've got two more goals in this game that I want to talk about. One which I feel should have been disallowed and one which I feel shouldn't have been disallowed. And this is where football is won and lost on fine margins. Right. So, one you think shouldn't have been disallowed. Shouldn't have been disallowed as a Southampton goal. It's so insane. And I was watching at home and by this time I'd, I'd had a, I was watching my dad, we'd had a skinfall. But like, you just, 
and then like the is it Mike Dean who's on BT Sports comes out and says once the goal apparently in the six yard box if anyone touches the goalkeeper it's a foul which seems completely and utterly insane and but football's a contact sport and people are always yeah. touching the goalkeeper but the reaction of, in, in the in the studio of I think it was Gary Neville and Thierry Henry uh, I can't remember who it was was just like this is an insane rule if that is actually a rule mm. and no one seems to know about it it was insane did Mike Dean just make it up well, I looked for it in the laws of the game. I couldn't, I couldn't see it. And Charlie Austin, all he does, like the goalkeeper drops it. Yeah. You know, like you, you've got to feel that like, what are they doing? And also, and I, I made a point about, about VAR mm. um, at the time. And I real, really do believe it. The, the referees seem to be really arrogant and they seem to be really like officious and they're a bit like school prefects, aren't yeah. they? Like, and the problem is, is like you rely on their, they're the only people who can call for VAR. So what they're essentially doing is you're relying on someone who's really arrogant and thinks he always knows best to admit that actually I don't know what happened there. So actually I need to go to a third party to tell me. And instead, Mark Hughes should have you know, like in tennis. Well, like in tennis, you have your call. He should be able to call it. Yeah. And someone on Twitter said to me, well, that's no good because Mark Hughes is 60 yards away. But yeah, but Charlie Austin can run over and say... I didn't you know, touch him. I yeah. didn't touch him. Like that needs that's to be that, reviewed. Yeah, that's, like, that's our golden ticket. That's our one review this half. Or yeah, and yeah. You, know, you get two a game, whatever it is. And, and I think the problem is, is otherwise you're relying on refs and refs are just arrogant, aren't they? Yeah. Jason, you're looking like you're about to jump in here. You've got a view on this. Well, about the rule, Letizia got in an argument on Twitter with everybody, basically, in the world, it seemed like. And he they, does that a lot, didn't he? Yeah, and it's amazing. Um, but he said it's not a rule. He made it up. And he actually took a photo of the rule book and put it in a tweet and said, it's not in the rule book. It's not a foul. It should have been a goal. Yeah. Um, which, you know. I looked for it. I couldn't see it. Yeah. Laws ago. Mike, does Mike Dean just hate us? He makes up rules. It was so weird. I think that, A, the referees, they all got to stick together. Yeah. You know, they're all part of a gang. They all probably see each other quite regularly, so they're probably not in the interests of slagging each other off. Um, but it was a, it was a and, baffling And, and, and let's be honest, if Mike Dean starts slagging off other refs, then, you know, it's all going to, it's going to come back to hurt him yeah. much worse, isn't it, than the average ref? So it was, it was a very, it was a really strange, really disappointing decision. And it, it goes to show, as you say, the fine margins. Um, but for me, it wasn't a foul. It, it wasn't for me. It obviously wasn't for Jason. Obviously wasn't for Matthew Letizia. Um, it was for Mike Dean, but he's got an updated version of the rule book that hasn't been <laughs> issued yet. Um, totally bizarre. Um, and so the other, the other one, so one of the goals was reviewed by VAR and that was Chelsea's second goal. I didn't know that. Did that go to VAR? I did not I, know that. I'm pretty sure it went to VAR because the goal, like the goal happened. So the cross came in. Um, Morata pushed Hoots in the back and Hoot like was on the floor and, you know, um, and then the cross came in and he had the free header basically. And uh, I said to my dad, I was just like, that push was so blatant. If this goes to VAR, it's not going to be a goal. And then they did the, I'm pretty sure I saw someone do the the square, but but maybe I imagined it. You know, I, I haven't watched I haven't watched the highlights back. I didn't watch it on TV. I was just there, and it was just all happening around me. See, I I don't think it was a push. I think Hoy uh, needs to either leave the Premier League or he needs to really understand what the Premier League is, and he needs to toughen up. And I I don't think he was pushed. I think there's a there's a hand that goes yeah. on the back. 
But Hoyt's reaction for a man who's what six foot four and probably like 15, 16 stone is, yeah. is baffling. And like, if there is anything, there is a light hand on the back. And you know, Hoyt got pushed off the ball by Lukaku in the mm. early in the season, and you'd think he would learn. But for me, actually, I didn't. I didn't think that was a foul. So, I mean, what I found quite interesting about this is they showed replays of the goal on the big screen in Wembley, and in none of the replays could you see the push. And it's because it happened so long before before the ball actually reached them that I don't think it was caught on any of the cameras. And so I yeah. think maybe after that, you maybe saw like the kind of the remnants of the push. Because when I was watching it, uh, so our club Wembley seats, we were in the Chelsea end. So this goal happened right in front of me, we right behind the goal, kind of midway up the stand. And it looked really, really clear to me. But then on all the video replays, it, it was it was the, the the video. By the time the camera came round to Hoot and Moretta, it it already happened. It it didn't. It I think it'd be one of those ones. If that had been Charlie Austin yeah. on Aspilicueta, yeah. and it had been not you know, and it had not been given because it had been a push, and it would be going mad. And to our earlier point about the goalkeeper, it is a contact sport. Yeah, you know, these are big men. Like they, they they've got to be able to to lay a hand on each other. Yeah. Um, so I, and I almost think like if we can't have Charlie Austin's, you know, like I think they're almost, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't really, yeah. make, does it make sense? I don't know. Well, I think it would make sense if they both counted or if neither well, of them counted. counted yeah. 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 But it, I mean, it's pretty gutting that the fact that like we've had two trips to Wembley and very big, important cup matches. Um, We've had the introduction of VAR and it just hasn't stopped us having a goal being d- wrongly disallowed. But if you think, like, why is they... VAR is so weird the way they're doing it, this piecemeal way yeah. of doing it. And if Saints go down, and I think there's still a strong chance we will, yeah. uh, you'll look back at the season, you'll say, what were the moments that matter? And you could say the Alonso challenge on Shane Long, yeah. that, that moment mattered. And you could say the Watford handball. Yeah, the Watford handball and, goal. All right, you could... T- you, Alonso gets sent off. Chelsea might still win. That handball gets denied. Saints definitely yeah. win. I guess the other thing though is, to be honest, if we're going to really start dissecting the season, and probably we should wait for the season review episode, but actually the biggest wrong decision for us this season has been the appointment of Pellegrino. Or if if not the appointment, if the appointment was right and they saw enough from his CV and his previous performances as manager to justify giving him a chance, it was probably not dismissing him after the Palace game. Uh, after the Spurs game. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think Palace, def- Palace for sure, Spurs 100%. Yeah. Um, anyway, we can get onto that in our, our last in our kind of final episodes of the season. Um, overall, you know, despite my misgivings about the officials, Chelsea were just so much better than us. I think, you know, even if Charlie Austin's goal had been allowed... Charlie Austin hit the post. Yeah. If Morata's goal had been disallowed, you know, you know, sometimes you win those games just because you get the rub of the green. Um, it was kind of one of those games, I think if it had gone into extra time, Chelsea would have beaten us. If it had gone to penalties, I expect Chelsea would have beaten oh, yeah. us as well. I think one thing it just seems to be, though, is that big teams get decisions when it matters. And I don't, I don't think there is some grand conspiracy where at the start of the season they get all the referees in a room and they say, no matter what happens, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, Spurs, Man United, they, they're yeah, the okay. Yeah. I don't think that happens at all. But I do think that there is a, um, like, do you really want to be the one, the guy that 
at the end of the game Conte is going mad about or Mourinho or do you or you have, or you want to be the guy that like a Pellegrino or Mark yeah. Hughes is going mad about you don't want that yeah. do you and we're too polite anyway Teams make their own luck, right? Yeah. Good teams make their good luck. Make good luck. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, you look at the way how Fergie managed to manipulate referees in his favour is just incredible. He also had the best players. Yeah, you know, like it, it, it comes he, with. He, the he manipulated everything into his favour. Yeah, wasn't like he? he had he had the best players, and then and then when he didn't have the best players towards the end, he was the best coach. He still managed to get that team to win the league. Right, lit. Saints actually won a game. We're 27, oh my God. We're 27 minutes into the recording. We still haven't started talking about that. So come on, let's get on to that. Right, Jason, tell us about your trip to England, about the trip to St. Mary's. This is the first time for you, so just relive the experience for our listeners. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, in America, you go to like an American football game, you have the tailgate, you know, you barbecue, whatever, spend hours in the sun getting ready for the game. Pe- people don't hang out um, in St. Mary's car park in the same way, do they? No, we Not went nice to a pub. Uh, go to the pub and uh, I had a BLT, uh, hamburgers, choice. you know, beers, beers around, things like that. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. It isn't a tailgate, but I wouldn't say that it's inferior in any way, shape or form. Uh, it was, so it was fun. So you get the anticipation. Uh, we actually got there pretty early. So the pub's empty and then you just slowly start to see more and more people come in and then everybody starts walking towards the stadium at the same time. Pretty exciting. And, and it was loud. Um, I've been to stadiums with 85,000, 95,000 people. This was every bit as loud. Yeah. Uh, and you're right there on the pitch. I mean, it's amazing. You're not up in a stand. You're right there. I, I, I'm going to rewind a little bit here. So, because I think one of the very important things about going to football in England is actually it's, quite often it's the people that you go with. So, tell us, you know, how come you're a Southampton fan? Why are you going to a Saints game? And who, who are you going to the Saints game with? <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so, uh, I work in America, uh, but we have a department in Maidenhead, England. And uh, a fellow... I mean, it's an obvious place for an American company to have a department. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, why not Absolutely. Maidenhead? Right. Yeah. Um, but a friend of mine, uh, that I became friends with who worked in the Maidenhead office is a big Saints fan. So a couple years ago, uh, I became more and more disenfranchised with different American sports. And I was like, I'll try this, uh, football thing, give it a shot. And uh, I was like, well, might as well watch Southampton because I've got a friend that's a Southampton fan. Good choice. uh, Yeah. yeah, And it was, it was great. I mean, I, I, you start reading about the history, you know, first thing I did go to Wikipedia, Read the whole article. It's like, this is great. You know, this is great. Uh, I'm going to be a Southampton fan. So you, you immerse yourself pretty quickly. So, uh, so he and his family have been season ticket holders for over a decade. So yeah. they go to, go to nice. the match. So, so, so you're there with your mate, all of his family. Yep. I mean, his, his several generations. His brother. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so we're all, we're all there getting, getting revved up a little bit for the match. Yeah. So, and they're not they're not uh, crazy fans. They just like going as a family. Yeah, they live in disparate parts of the country, so they meet up for the matches. But uh, you go to that many matches, you're gonna you're gonna be a fan. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're 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 walking to the to the match, pretty excited. I think we all thought we were gonna lose. I mean, it's hard to think that you're actually gonna win. I mean, you're still hopeful. Yeah, I don't think as a Saints fan, there's I don't honestly I don't been to many games where I think you're gonna win. Yeah, it's like you just don't. Yeah, <laughs> winning's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> But it was, the fans were excited. Yeah, it was it was a loud, you know, pregame. You know, it's it's pretty loud. I I don't guess they put the clappers out all the time, but they had the clappers in the seat, yeah. and everyone's going crazy with the clappers. So, uh, 
it was it was pretty exciting, pretty electric atmosphere. It seemed like some sort of like playoff game or something like that. It was pretty pretty exciting. I, th- I think for Southampton, you know, it, there there is so much tension in in this game just because we all knew how important it was. It really was last chance to lose. You know, I, I think if we lost at home to Bournemouth, it would have been so hard to pick up the pieces afterwards. Even if we'd not won. I mean, I, I think even a draw would have been useless. Pretty devastating. Yeah, because yeah. it just would have like it wouldn't. It doesn't move us on in any way. Yeah. It's just another game gone. Um, and the interesting thing about Bournemouth and Saints is like some people are trying to kind of build this up as a South Coast derby. I mean, Tom, you probably remember kind of putting money in buckets to to help yeah. save Bournemouth a, 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 a we, few we, years we ago. We loaned them. We loaned them players. Yeah, uh, I think Adam. We only, we yeah, bought Adam, Adam Lallana, Lallana, yeah. but. I think Saints had a history of like loaning them players. Yeah. So I think it's it's one of those media. Yeah. You know, like if you're a Saints fan, there's only one derby. Yeah. And it's I mean, definitely not Bournemouth. No. I, I, to be honest, I remember they used to read out when Bournemouth were a couple of divisions below. They'd read out the Bournemouth scores at half time because it's interesting. There'd be a cheer of a you well, know. They, well, they'd read out the Pompey scores, but that'd yeah. be a cheer if Pompey were losing. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's the a cheer if they're winning. Yeah, and cheer if, if Bournemouth winning. So, but the Bournemouth fans seem to kind of like hype this up and I wonder you know did the Bournemouth fans seem totally up for it they lit, oh, looked like they brought a lot of fans yeah, with them yeah they were that's one of the things that's so surprising is the away fans have a big impact on the match as well mm. I mean it's a small enough stand and there's a big enough group of them that they were loud yeah uh, and you could hear them throughout the entire match you know I mean to be honest I think the Bournemouth like, I think the away end in Southampton is probably the same size as the uh, whole Vitality Stadium for Bournemouth <laughs> so you know that probably was the entire complement of Bournemouth fans I mean yeah, and, and they were good, were they? They made a lot of noise. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, I had a hard time making out some of their chants, but they yeah. were they were going at it for most of the match. So. Yeah, and and how did the Saints fans? I mean, tell me about the tension. Did it feel tense right from the start, or was it? You know, was the I, atmosphere actually quite positive? It seemed excited. Yeah, it seemed excited. I I didn't feel. I mean, I felt nervous. And I don't know if other people did or not, but the atmosphere was pretty electric. Yeah. It was pretty uh, positive, it seemed like, like eager anticipation, like something great may happen today, um, which is which is good. Yeah. Because it did. Okay. And, and then just, you know, tell us about the start of the match. How, how did it go? What did you see? What did you, what, I mean, what did you notice about watching Premier League football for the first time? Yeah, what's uh, the difference watching it on TV? Um, man, uh, it's fast. It's really fast. Uh, it's even more impressive how far they can kick a ball. Um, and uh, it, but one of the things that struck me is the players aren't that big. You know, I'm used to watching you know American basketball or football, and these they're not human. I mean, they're massive. Yeah. But these guys, they look normal size, but they're so fast. Uh, there's no doubt that they're amazing athletes, but their size isn't. You know, because you're right there and you're next to them, like they're not. That that struck me as kind of interesting. Maybe. Yeah, but they're strong as well, aren't they? Oh yeah, it's physical. It's yeah. definitely physical. Uh, I think that's one of the things we've seen in recent years, isn't it? Like all of the players are hench. Yeah, like they're all like ripped, even yeah. if they're little. Yeah, like T- Tadic Tadic. Yeah, is it, did I get it wrong again? <laughs> it's a great example where he's you know he's he's not the biggest, but like when he takes his shirt off, which he does a lot, he yeah. is like ripped. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah, I mean, there was that meme of him as the Hulk, wasn't it, after he scored against Manchester United and tore his shirt off. And um, All right, well, I mean, let's get on to Tadic. I mean, was that the first major incident of the game? The goal. The goal. Uh, yeah, I think it was. 
Had uh, McCarthy had his first foot save at that point? Yeah, no, so McCarthy's against from Nathan Ake was after we were winning, I'm okay. pretty sure. I yeah. think so. That first foot save. Yeah. Sorry to skip ahead, but... But it was a great goal. It. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, for Saints, it was the sort of goal that we like that, have... That we concede we can see regularly, yeah, yeah, apart from the headers, those yeah. are the other goals we can see. Um, it was a really good goal, and like Yoshida, good header, Redmond, yeah. like, Redmond, like brave, and then a, just a clever pass. And then, to be fair to Lamina, Lamina had the game that like, I saw Lamina first this season when we went to Crystal Palace yeah. away, and he looked like we'd bought the best player in the world. He looked like he looked like we'd bought the player Pogba was meant to be this kind of yeah. dominating box to box player. And to be fair, that was a great run and a great assist. Yeah. The, and and the finish, you know, tidy game. Tadic knows how to do a tidy finish, doesn't he? Yeah, you I mean, know. one of my favourite Saints goals of recent years was the Tadic uh, finish against West Ham. Really? A couple of seasons ago where the ball went through to him and he kind of moved his body but caused the goalkeeper to fall on his butt. Yeah. Do you remember that goal? Like yeah, it was yeah, just yeah, a great, yeah. and then he went around the goalkeeper. Was that when we won three one? I think yeah, uh, yeah. three 0 three one. That was a really good yeah. finish as well. My favourite Tadic goal was the one he scored against Everton earlier this season, where he did the little dink between his two feet. I think he took it from his right, pinged it onto his left, and then pinged it past. It, I think it was just really, really clever, really sleight of hand. Player. Yeah, it's quite interesting. To say Mark Hughes saying that he was a player that when you're an opposition manager, you're worried about. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think Saints have many of those. No. And I think we need to really harness that. Now. It's because he can do stuff. Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this goal. Firstly, the fact it came from a Bournemouth corner. I thought the three main players involved all did some fantastic things. So Redman, the touch, the flicking it over the Bournemouth uh, attacker, and then finally Lamina was great. But the bizarre thing about Redmond is like, so then, this you know, true. immediately we have three players kind of breaking. So Tadic is furthest ahead, Lamina is running, and Redmond has just gone past the Bournemouth player. And, and Redmond is our fastest player yeah. without any shadow of doubt. And it's so bizarre because he passed the ball and he thought, yeah, nice one, Redmond. That was brilliant. And then he just kind of stopped, didn't he? Yeah. He, just, he just slowed down to a canter. He knew, obviously, he knew it was going to happen. I mean, he didn't yeah, really. He, but yeah. like, it was weird because he doesn't, you'd think he'd be like busting, like hell for leather. Yeah. But maybe he knew that if he runs alongside Tadic, Tadic might attempt to pass to him and that will go wrong. So <laughs> maybe, it's just, maybe it's best he just hangs just back. Like, I'm going to leave this to you, Tadic. <laughs> and um, yeah, glad he did because it was, it was a great goal. And then what's it like being in St. Mary's when Southampton scored? Because... I mean, Matthew, I feel sorry for him because he's not actually seen Southampton score a goal and being in the crowd. What's it like being in the crowd when that oh, happens man, for the first time? It was so fast too. Because, I mean, it it was off a corner, right? So you're like, they're going to score. I mean, this is what we do. We give up easy free headers on corners. So you're thinking we're about to go down 1-0 and you blink your eyes and we've scored. Yeah. And uh, everybody's shocked. I mean, it's loud. I mean, the place erupts. But everybody's a little shocked too that we just – you know, went on a break and scored. Yeah. Like, that's not what Southampton does, you know? It was it was amazing. I think this goal is typical of the kind of goal that we just would never have scored under Pellegrino. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, because I think what you would have seen is, um, rather than someone, like, it would have almost been like Tadic running at, the, rather than Lamina, yeah. it would have been like Tadic running and maybe like Cedric, you know, like, yeah. it, it, you wouldn't have had like the actually attacking player, you going know, like, he it, wouldn't yeah. have been going for it. And, um, it was really. It was a great goal, and we haven't really scored no. like goals like that this season. So there was a real sense of urgency there, wasn't there? Which, which yeah. actually helped that counter attack happen. So, I mean, the rest of the second half. Were, I mean, were there any more talking points that you can think of before the Bournemouth equaliser? 
Yeah, there was there was the the the, the save the, the save with his foot. How good was that up close? Uh, oh, I mean, it was unbelievable. I thought it was in. Yeah. I mean, because you're seeing the ball, and, and granted, there's players a little bit in the way because we were pretty close down to the pitch. I mean, like row F or something. Yeah. But uh, you see the the shot, and you just think it's in. And all of a sudden, McCarthy's foot sticks out and saves it. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was it was pretty exciting to see that. I mean, I think this is one of the amazing things about the difference between seeing it in real life and seeing it in television. So when you watch it on television, you get all the slow motion replays and it's just like, oh yeah, well obvious, that was where the ball was going to go. So he put his foot out there and it's like, once it's slowed down, it's like, well yeah, it's obvious when it's slowed down. And it's the same actually, you know, having given referees a whole load of stick, um, referees have to make a decision like that, you know, in the game happening that fast, whether they see it or not, they're bang, they have to make a decision. And it does happen really, really quick when you're there. And on the television, once you've watched it 10 times in super slow-mo, it's easy to know what the correct decision was or what, what you should have done. But yeah, I mean, there's so many times when you jump up because you think you've scored and then suddenly a hand comes out of nowhere yeah. and it's safe, you know, which we'll get onto yeah. later. Um, so yeah, I mean, great, great to see that. Loads of relief. You're thinking, oh, we're going to get into halftime 1-0 up. This is going to be great. <laughs> and then Saints do what Saints do. It was a weird goal because it was almost like they thought like, the whistle had gone. Um, but Romeo, who I think most people would agree has not had his best season, uh, just switches off. And yeah. Lewis Cook like, almost, Lewis almost like, can't believe that he's there to score this goal. And um, But it was so like, horribly obvious wasn't it it was so mm. like dispiriting um yeah like what more can you say so we switch someone off. scoring unmarked at the back post yeah like how or yeah like with with a simple chance how many times this season Duncan is on if you're listening tell us yeah <laughs> um so half time it's 1-1 what's what's the mood amongst your uh friends and family or the family of your friend no one's surprised no I mean, that, that goal, I mean, it was the most Saints thing ever, right? Yeah. That you give up the goal to tie it up going into halftime late, you know, like it was the most predictable thing. And now you think, oh, great, you know, Bournemouth comes from behind more than anybody. This yeah. match is over. You know, maybe we'll get another goal and force a draw, but you, everyone's assuming Bournemouth's going to get two. I mean, Bournemouth is going to get two. It was yeah. assumed, you know. Yeah. Um, second half starts. And I mean, Saints... Got a goal pretty quickly, wasn't it? About seven or eight minutes after the second half started. I think the 53rd minute, was it? Yeah, I mean, and, and Tadic looked hungry, didn't he? He got yeah. that, he won that ball. And also, it's about, it's the confidence, isn't it? It was a good goal he scored against Chelsea. This was a really, really clever goal. And one of the interviews, he said he plays a lot of futsal. Um, he still plays with friends, which he's probably not meant to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was a futsal, it was a toe poke. But also, who are Tadic's friends in South? Like, I mean, <laughs> right, okay. Futsal so, squad. I mean, listeners to the podcast who live in Southampton, you know, you're wandering through the common. Do you see Dusan Tadic playing futsal with his like the kind of Serbian crew that just happened to live in Southampton. I mean, tell, write in saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com at saintsfcpodcast on Twitter or put a comment in the YouTube. Tell us if you've seen Tadic playing futsal or hacky sack or yeah. basically kicking around a juggling ball, right? But it was a really good goal, wasn't it? And he, it was a great run. Charlie Austin drew a defender away. Nathan uh, Redmond as well. Nathan Redmond as well. Um, it's, it's funny because someone messaged me and was like, weren't you just screaming for Tadic to pass the ball to Austin throughout that? And actually, if you looked at the three players that were running towards the goal, if they were all equal players, you would give that to Redmond. Totally unmarked. Yeah. In Tadic's sight. I mean, 
cannot miss. But Redmond can't buy a goal, can he? No. Poor guy. I mean, against Chelsea, the FA Cup, I thought that had gone in. Yeah. Smashed one, but yeah, he can't buy a goal. Um, but what a fa- fantastic finish. And it's, you know, not often that we see a toe poke in Premier League football, but it, but it was it, the it, art of the toe poke, was it? Because yeah. it was a toe poke which was perfectly paced and perfectly positioned. Like, how on earth do you do that with a toe poke? It's beyond me. I, I suppose the interesting thing about a toe poke, because Cristiano Ronaldo scored that amazing free kick from a toe poke, didn't he? Is, is it puts that kind of fast weird whip on the ball which means it changes direction really quickly and with Tadic's it kind of went up and down very quickly in a very short space of time yeah. and it looked good to watch it was a sexy goal it was a good I mean we, this isn't a season where we've scored many good goals so we'll take these uh, yeah. yeah and in fact actually scoring goals is something that we have actually been doing quite a lot in the last you know since Mark Hughes joined yeah we scored two against Chelsea two against Arsenal Two yeah. against uh, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Um, One disallowed against Chelsea in the yeah, semi-final. You know, but yeah, two against Wigan, I suppose. They're that's having not, a go, aren't they? Yeah. But it's nice to see the, the, the net ripple, isn't the it? The onion bag. Um, so take us through the rest of the game. There's some few more dramatic highlights, aren't there, Jason? Oh, it was so stressful. I mean, because again, everybody's saying Bournemouth is going to score again. Yeah. We've got to get another goal. Um, but then he subs on uh, Hoiberg. And you're thinking we're not. That's not an aggressive. So we got to get another goal. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what everybody around you is thinking. Uh, which that's also kind of funny. Uh, it was amazing how often I heard the word "useless" yelled. Yeah. Uh, anytime they passed the ball backwards, you'd hear somebody yell "useless," just useless. Which there was nowhere to go with the ball. Of course, yeah. he had to pass it back. So that was pretty entertaining <laughs> uh, to hear that quite a bit. But um, yeah, you just you're assuming we've got to get another goal. Yeah. You've got to get another goal, and then the substitutions. Um, to to be fair, uh, my friend's dad thought that they were reasonable substitutions. I still yeah. don't know that I understand them, but uh, you you're thinking you got to score again. It was weird when he took Redmond off, bought Shane Long on, and then played Shane Long on the left wing mm. when Tadic is a natural left left footed player. Yeah, uh, and Shane Long is right footed. That was when we. I mean, I was listening to it on Saints play. That's when we sounded like we started to lose control of the game a little bit. Um, Did you feel that in the stadium as well, Jason? A little bit. I mean, the the, the tension's there. I mean, yeah. the tension is definitely there at that point. Um, and I was it? wondering the same thing. I didn't know the thing about the left footed. I don't, you know, yeah. pay that close attention, I guess. But it didn't make sense that Shane Long was on the wing. Yeah. I mean, Shane, Long, Shane Long is actually quite a good winger, isn't he? But it doesn't play on the left wing. It's just yeah. weird. Yeah. There's definitely music noise? going on upstairs, isn't there? I mean, that's that's the child monitor. Yeah, yeah. Even oh, yeah. my three-year-old has got up and turned on the radio and started listening to nineteen like thirty. It's like vaudevillian. Yeah, music hall. Either that or my wife's back and she's turned on the music. <laughs> but that also seems unlikely. Anyway, strange things happening upstairs. I'm just going to let it let it fly at this point. Um, I mean. So it's quite interesting, Jason, because I think when you email in to the show, you're quite analytical in the way that you look at things. And you're always asking us quite probing questions, which is why we often read out your emails, because you, you, tend, to, uh, you tend to observe something which I think many of us have observed and you pick out things that some of us have maybe observed and not quite noticed. When you're in the stadium, is that harder to do? Because you don't have, you're so involved in the emotion. Yeah, I think so. Um, and... Uh 
I'm also just sitting there making snarky comments yeah. to my friend the whole time, so that that's going to affect my ability to to calmly reflect on the match. Are you making snarky comments about the Bournemouth players, Southampton players, or just the other fans that you see around you? Uh, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it it, it it was amazing to see um, the freedom. I guess overall, like the freedom that the players had to try and be yeah. aggressive. Like there were a couple times. We're right in front of me. Redmond tries to break down the sideline with the ball. And there's clearly no way he's going to get past the guy that's guarding him because he has, he doesn't have an angle, but he tries anyway. Yeah. And I see that as a positive thing. I mean, the f- most of the fans around me were pretty mad at Redmond. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I mean, that, that the players are aggressive and attacking and trying to break through, even if it isn't always the best decision. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different than what we, you saw. We earlier. didn't do that, did we, under Pellegrino? No. You know, they didn't. They didn't try things. And I, one of the things that was clear, Dave Merrington, who is an incredibly astute commentator on Saints player, um, was saying that what Saints got the first goal and then they kept attacking. Yeah. They kept going at Bournemouth. And that's something that we didn't do this season. We would, if we scored, we, we scored first actually quite a lot. That was the yeah. eighth game that we'd taken the lead. Um, and the first one we'd actually won. Wait, is but that since Hughes or since this season? This season, yeah. So I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? To, to I think, well, I can't. There's some stat. Like, it's one of the yeah. first games that we've that we've actually know, converted. The, that I think, or that we've conceded, and then gone on to win. But like, you know, it's it's the positivity. We've got good players. Let them play. And, yeah. and you see that in Lamina the most the last couple of matches. Yeah. I mean, I. I love Lamina. I think he's great. I, I know that some people have been frustrated with him and and wonder if he's dedicated and and maybe that's it. Uh, I see a guy who lacked confidence, yeah. who who has all the talent in the world, but just didn't quite believe, you know, that he could do what he can do, and so he plays defensively. Mm. But it's clear that he can get past anybody, you know, one on one with the ball. And the last couple of matches, you saw that with Hughes. He said, "You're in the middle, yeah. and you're going to press the ball forward." And we didn't have anybody who did that earlier in the season. I think I wrote in an email and talked about how they'd play patty cake with the ball around yeah. the edge and never get to the middle. With Lamina pressing for just a couple dribbles, it pulls the defense in and opens up the side a little bit more and just opens up space around the pitch. And we didn't have anybody doing that earlier in the season. And I thought that was huge. Um, I, I, and I, and I, I love it. I, I think Lamina's, you know, pretty good with the ball. So I, I like seeing that. Yeah. On his day, he's our best player. He's our, I think he's the one player we've got. Like when he plays like he did against Bournemouth, uh, he's the one player we've got that you could see walking into like a top four team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got to have more of those days. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think Dusan Tadic probably deserving of man of the match, but I think there's another guy who probably came pretty close. And tell us about those last five minutes in the stadium and, and that game. I mean, I almost had a heart attack. I mean, you're sitting there like I'm rubbing my chest, like yeah. I'm just watching the build up because Bournemouth is throwing everything. And uh, I think it may have even been once it went into added time, which that was another odd thing. You don't get the clock telling you how many minutes it is. Luckily, I saw that in the first half, so I checked my watch real quick so yeah. I could make sure. But it's added time, and it opens up. And from where I'm sitting uh, around middle of the pitch, I have the perfect angle where you see the shot, and it's curling. And the players have like parted ways almost, and the ball is curling towards the corner. So this is like Moses no at the Red Sea. Yeah, and, and you know, was it the Israelites? That's the ball going <laughs> towards the Southampton goal. Yeah, like, and it's it's slow motion. Yeah, I mean, like in my mind, it's still slow motion, and the ball is curling in right into the corner, 
and there's no one there. Yeah. And then at the last possible moment, McCarthy's hand pops up and blocks it, and everybody goes nuts. I mean, I- I've seen some other angles from people, yeah. uh, and it was not nearly as dramatic as from right there looking straight at the ball and it just curling in. I mean, it was it was unreal. I mean, that was the highlight of the match for me. I mean, where yeah. where would we be this? Year? And, I, and also, like the way he punches the ball, yeah. you know, the way he commands. Was well, it right towards the end? Yeah, you know, like he gets like the, the, you can imagine like the defenders must have so. So, have little confidence but they must look at him and they must you know like you must yeah. go like you know at least we've got a guy behind us like and with Forster like he has a terrible loss of confidence he just never got that feeling and yeah you know he's terrible with crosses and his shots like you kind of wonder like what were you doing what bit of goalkeeping by the end of Forster sort of running the team like what bit of goalkeeping was he good at um but McCarthy that save was just a worldie it's the gum chewing yeah. You don't see it in person, but on TV, he's just smacking his gum. And like every save, no matter how good it was, he just is kind of almost smiling, yeah. chewing his gum. I love it. <laughs> I love to, it. He could go to the World Cup, couldn't it, he? It like keeper. Keeper. I, I can't, to be honest, I can't see him going to the World Cup. I think kind of you look at, is it Alexander Pope at Burnley? It's yeah, just Nick, been absolutely yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick Pope. Is it Nick Pope? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Can't remember yeah. Um, Pope. Yeah, Pope at, at Burnley is... What, I, what, what I've seen of him has been brilliant. And he's, he's going to take Joe Hart despite everything. Um, okay, so fantastic. Saints have beaten Bournemouth 2-1. What a difference a result like this makes. I mean, oh, when the final whistle came, I just I felt elated. You know what? One of my mates kind of messaged me earlier in the week. He was saying, what a crazy season our team's having. He's a Liverpool fan. So he was like feeling pretty thrilled. And I was just like... I I was like I am through with football like you know I I watch this group of players every week that you know aren't putting in the shift you know they're getting paid millions of pounds I was saying you know that what's it Virgil van Dijk you know typifies the whole you know the fact that he could spend a whole half of the season not putting a shift in just because he wanted to get that move I was feeling pretty miserable about it and then by the time We'd beaten Bournemouth. I was checking all the fixtures. I was like, thinking, "Oh, maybe we could beat Everton. Maybe we, maybe we can beat Swansea." Oh my god! I think we might just stay in the Premier League. You know, it just it changes everything. And hopefully, the mood that I've got from watching Southampton against Bournemouth and us actually winning a game, seeing a game out, could could this be? Is this the turning point? Is this the thing that's going to get us out of trouble? It has to be, doesn't it? I mean, I think there was a great video. I think it was Adam Blackmore posted it, but then I couldn't see. It's say, but I let we chose one. And he was sat behind the bench. And there is that footage that Saints have put on their Twitter feed of, of you know, like Mark Hughes getting yeah. mad. And, you, and then you see Charlie Austin and, and do something. Yeah, it wasn't Adam Blackwell. I did retweet but, it though. So if you go back through the Saints of Super Podcast yeah, Twitter, you can find, find it. it. It's yeah. really worth watching. And I think what you do see there is you do see something that's been lacking, not just this season, but all of last season, which was passion. Yeah. Like a real excitement. I, th- I think that that we weren't able to conjure except at Wembley and at big European games. We, and even some of them we did, we couldn't get mm. motivated for it, it. There was a sense of passion. And I think that one of the things I think Hughes has done is I think he's got his team. And I think there are players you'll never see in a Saints shirt again. You'll never see Buffal. You'll never see Carrillo. I think he's got players that he obviously believes that when it matters, they're going to put in a shift. Yeah. You know what I think Saints should do is just avoid making record signings. I mean, the amount of record signings that we've had have just been a complete waste well, of space. If I can just very briefly, I, I was reading uh, this, this book called The Numbers Game, which yeah. is two economists, and their whole theory is that you shouldn't um, 
by big star name players uh, because the nature of football is that individual mistakes are very important. Instead, yeah. football teams would be more successful if they spent money improving their worst players, yeah. improving their weak links. Um, and I think you look at Saints, the amount of mistakes we've made this season. Yeah. We didn't need a £20 million centre-forward. Uh, we needed a... Well, we did, but not Carigé. We actually probably needed a £40 million centre-forward and we probably I... needed a couple of £20 million centre-backs. We're doing all right now, though, without that yeah. £20 million forward. You know, we're scoring more goals now without the twenty million pound forward than mm. we were with him, and I think that yeah. You know, but we needed a early season. We needed a better goalkeeper. We yeah. needed, you know, we needed a better centre back. And I, mm. it's an interesting theory that mistakes of what of what have cost Saints a lot. We've not been smashed much this season. It's just stupid errors. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see that. I definitely see that point. Well, and that was the argument for keeping Pellegrino because we're yeah. so close, right? XG. Yeah. I know how much you love XG, Tom, right? Oh, I still, I can't, even, I can't even spell it, let alone understand <laughs> it. I can't spell it. I mean, come on. Um, what, should we bring up some, some oh, XG stats XG. here? Um, we, I mean, we don't have to get onto XG, but I did notice that our XG against Bournemouth, it yes, was it I was good, this. you know? We actually... We beat the XG, didn't we? Yeah, we, we beat them on XG. Um, 1.73 to 1.02. So, that I mean, that makes sense, you know? XG works. XG works. It proves the point there. Um, what we we're going to look at the whole league table, are we? About this XG point, because I mean, you quite like the XG. Is that, is that right, Jason, or is it? Um, am I getting you totally wrong on that? I, I think it uh, as an interesting yeah. data point, talking point. Um, I can't seem to get the league table. Oh no! Although, yeah, no. although to be fair, statistics like XG are for teams that lose. Yeah, it's like uh, I was talking to my friend about this about Shane Long. People talk about how great he is because he works hard. But they only say that because he doesn't score. Yeah. You know, no one talks about how hard Lionel Messi works because he's clearly fabulous. With Gary Lineker never worked hard, did he? Yeah. Letizier isn't known for, you know, running super fast. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? You only talk about those things if you're not actually very good. It's just like they kind of little fragments of some yeah. sort of distant hope. They're to, also, to, they're to also let's face it, it's the bare minimum. I mean, I love Shane, and this is not a criticism, but working hard is kind of the bare minimum thing you have to do. I mean, you would expect with that sort of money that people might work hard <laughs> <You know>. yeah <laughs> anyway it's not a criticism of Shane Long yeah. who we love I, I do love Shane Long I, I didn't like him for a long time but I've come to love Shane Long he's great yeah I mean just going back on this if Southampton had scored all the goals that they should have scored as in the expected goals and conceded all the goals they should have conceded as in the ex- expected against they would be in the top half of the table 10th so I mean it means that they probably weren't wrong to spend £20 million on the forward line, but perhaps, well, almost certainly they got the wrong guy. I mean, it was just weird. It was a Pellegrino signing at a time when Pellegrino's time was clearly up. It's, um, but, but I think as well, more important than the signing is that, that again, we spoke about this loads of times, but we had players out of that team under Pellegrino that should have been playing. Mm. War Prowse, Hoiberg, Austin, yeah. McCarthy. Can we talk about... Um, Premier League great escape heroes of the past. And this is going to be relevant for the preview of the Everton game. Um, Jason, it's okay. You don't have to answer this question because I don't think you've been supporting Saints long enough to have gone through what we're all going through right <laughs> right now. But Tom I, and I have experienced it. I've experienced this on teletext. Quite a few occasions. Where yeah. you should watch the game on teletext. Um, so, I mean, let's talk about who are your favourite great escape heroes? Uh, for me... Uh, it has to be the Latvian Michael Owen. 
Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't that against Everton as well? Um, I'm really not sure. I mean, Marion Pahas was a sensation when he came on. And he just, yeah, that was, I think that was when we were in deep doggy doo-doo. Yeah. And Pahas, who no one had ever heard of, just kind of came out of nowhere um, and was a great little goal scorer. What, what's the name of the guy who joined Saints for like... Mickey Evans. Mickey Evans, that's it. I was thinking Mickey Adams, but yeah, Mickey Evans. Who never, mean, he, yeah, he, he had like an incredible run of form and they never did anything. Yeah. I mean, that was it. I mean, he just came in for what, like a dozen games at the end of the season. He looked like he should be in up. Shed 7. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Um, do tweet us at Saints Jesse Podcast for your favourite great escape heroes. You know what? Who, who my favourite is? I think Hassan Kashlul. In a way, I know he wasn't like okay. totally the great escape, but that great escape season, the Delhurst Park, everyone wearing the fez hats. Yeah, There's Del like Has a certain Park. romanticism, isn't there, yeah. about Hassan Kashlul and keeping us up? But um, the reason why I bring this up is because one of our great escape heroes was. Kevin Davis and when he came onto the scene he was just absolutely sensational for Saints he was scoring yeah, was goals great. for fun um, was he a teenager you know yeah, he, was when a, he, he was at Chesterfield wasn't he I think yeah. he, he was um, he was one of our most highly regarded young players and I think I think it was Chesterfield had a really good FA Cup run the Spirits yeah and uh, he was sort of the star of their FA Cup run at like 17 and then yeah Saints bought him yeah um, for, for a decent amount of money then um, it's quite a bold and ambitious signing for Saints at the time, I think. But but what an absolute signing. And the reason why I've brought up Kevin Davis is because we're going to Goodison Park at the weekend in a real proper relegation. If we win this, this is probably going to be a great escape type situation. This, it'd be one of those I was there ones. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be DJing at my brother-in-law's wedding. Um, Jason, you're going to be back in Florida. Tom, I don't know what you got, some sort of pickling... I've got a pickling course. Pickling or, course, or is that that's, no, the, that's the, the Man City week. game? No, I just have no excuse. Yeah. Um, I actually went up to Goodison recently. Uh, I say recently, it was probably about two or three years ago, and we lost 1 0. Um, it was just a boring, terrible game of football. It's a long way to go, isn't it, to lose 1 yeah. um, 0? You know, it's a fun city, though, Liverpool. Um, but we've not actually won at Goodison Park since 1997, which was when Kevin Davis scored that famous goal where he dribbled it around literally every Everton player and then put it in the back of the net. We could do with that again, I think. Oh, you got well, that means we're due, a. That means we're due a win. That doesn't mean anything at all. But twenty-one years, um, we have to be positive. Yeah, you know, we have to be like you, Everton, who have just come off admittedly a very good result against Huddersfield. Um, their home form is not great. The atmosphere at Goodison is is certainly not very good. You know, we can we can win. Yeah, I mean, I hope that the Everton fans are just turning on Allardyce. If we show a bit of passion, maybe the Everton fans will turn on their team and, and we can end up getting getting a point or two or Charlie Austin three. scored that goal, didn't he? We can't get like two points, so that's impossible. But I'll, we'll take, I'll point take two, three. though. Yeah. I'll take two points. Although the last time you said that about a club was West Ham, so... <laughs> <sighs> we don't talk about that one, Jason. okay? That is... Please don't bring that up. That honestly. is verbose. <laughs> Sorry. It's off menu. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've only had one point at Goodison Park in the last five, we- five years, which when Sadio Mane got an equaliser there. I mean, it, I think we've just got to go into this thinking it's, it's due. Our time has come. Mark Hughes has got the boys playing better than they have done for most of the season. We can score goals. Everton have been pretty shambolic at times. I mean, they're playing the kind of 
turgid Allardyce football that really turns the Everton fans off. They want to see something a bit more attractive. And, and they've got a lot of players as well that are obviously looking either towards the beach or the World Cup. Yeah. They've got nothing to play for. No. So, I mean, hopefully we can do it. We need to just set about them, don't we? Like, we need to like tear into them. Are we going to dare to predict? Well, I'll obviously predict a win because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Jason, what, what what do you think? Saints versus Everton. I always predict a 2-1 win. For Southampton or yeah. for Everton? Southampton. Very always. pragmatic. Okay. John? I'm going to go for a... Um, uh, I'm going to go for a 2-2. It's going to be thrilling and heartbreaking, but it's going to leave everything on the game against Swansea. I think McCarthy's going to make the last-minute save again. Yeah. I'm not sure I can, my heart can handle it going into the Swansea game. Like, genuinely, is that the Swansea game on TV? I don't know. But, um, yeah, it, who knows what's going to happen. I think it just depends on what Saints turn up. Yeah, I, I, I think basically what's going to be happening is I'm going to be DJing at my brother-in-law's wedding and, um, you know, whatever happens, like, I mean, this could actually genuinely affect the most important day of my brother-in-law's life because if my phone gives me a notification saying that we've lost it, I'm just going to play Radiohead for the whole evening. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's just going to go crying. And if we win, I think I'm just going to play hardcore Gabba Techno for the whole night. You know, 140 beats per minute. I'm just going to go crazy. Do the sticks. Play the sticks all night. Yeah. Um, Then we've got the game against Swansea. Um, it's so important, but I think, you know, we, we almost can't rate it until we've seen what, think, what's going to happen against Everton. I think you'll know, won't you? But I almost think you'll, you'll kind of, we'll know. Yeah. Come Saturday evening, uh, if we... What, what's going to happen? Whether we're going to yeah. stay up or whether we're going to go I, down. I do think, well, I think, because I think if you look at our result, Swansea's result, Huddersfield's result, Stoke's result, you're going to know a lot by yeah. that time, aren't you? And, um... Yeah, I just pray that that we can that, that that we can take the spirit of Bournemouth and and you know and I th- I think he's he's pushed out some negative vibes in that squad. Yeah. So let's have a look at the league table. Um, at the moment, we have Southampton and Stoke and West Brom all in the relegation zone. Um, I've excluded West Brom for the sake of this because I don't think they're going to get out of it. Or they <laughs> what though. I mean, they could, couldn't they? Could I do. mean, this is this is the scary thing. So, I mean, we got we got West Brom on twenty eight points. They got two games left, so the maximum they could get is thirty four, which could potentially be enough to take them above ourselves, Stoke and Swansea, if none of us re- win any remaining games. So, we've got Stoke City on thirty points. We've got Southampton on thirty two, making up the relegation spots. Just above us, we have Swansea City on thirty three points. We have Huddersfield on 35 points. We have West Ham United on 35 points. If there is a God, he will give me West Ham. And we have Brighton on 37 points. And I think Watford, Bournemouth, Palace all on 38. I think you can forget about them. I think I, I don't think you see Brighton going down either. I mean, I'd love to know the extraordinary run of results it would take for Brighton to go down. Well, I don't think it's going to be that extraordinary because they've got what? They've got 37 points now, so they've had two draws. Their remaining three fixtures are against um, top four sides. Okay, that's interesting. So they could potentially not get another point. So the fixture gods have been quite 
evil to Brighton and Huddersfield. Yeah. Huddersfield are the next team which I think are in... I think Huddersfield are in serious danger here. They have Chelsea, Arsenal and Man City. And which of those are away and at home, I think? Uh, well, obviously Man City is... I mean, does it even matter? I mean, they lost to Everton at home. If they if they can lose to Everton at home, they can certainly lose to Chelsea, Arsenal and Man City. It just really probably depends on the whether Chelsea is still going for it, whether well, Man City is still Chelsea's going for it. Chelsea's still fighting for a Champions League spot. Yeah. And Arsenal, aren't they? I mean, it's not over for Arsenal. Well, yet. and Arsenal's playing for wingers... Wing, winger, wing, Wenger. Wenger. Wenger's yeah. last season, and then and then Man City's chasing the record. So yeah. all three of those clubs are, have something to play for. Yeah, and they've got skin in the game. And and you know we we do have Everton. You yeah, know, Everton is our game that is that has nothing riding on it for yeah. Everton. Um, West Ham United. They have Leicester City, Manchester United, and Everton. I mean, they could conceivably get nine points out of that. They could conceivably get zero points out of that. Um, Palace, they're out of it. Swansea, well, they have um, Saints and Stoke. And Bournemouth. And Bournemouth, yeah. I kind of expect they'll beat Bournemouth. I don't know. It's at Bournemouth, though. Yeah. I mean, it would be really good if Bournemouth could do us a favour there. Oh, yeah, Bournemouth have to. Bournemouth aren't free of this yet. It's highly unlikely they're going to go down. Yeah. So Bournemouth know that one win That's is it. them safe. Yeah, and also probably sees oh, sees them as top performing team in the South Coast. So yeah, I, I think they'll go for it against. Oh, Bournemouth a good team as well. Yeah, I mean Bournemouth could secure their safety at the Vitality Stadium. It'd greatly help us. Yeah, that'd be great, and you know. I mean, that Saints-Swansea game, that is absolutely vital, isn't it? I think if we beat Swansea, um, I mean, the Swansea have, I mean, they could get points against Bournemouth. They could very easily get points against Stoke. I mean, Swansea could well lose to us and still get out of trouble. Mm. But it would be very, very good to take three points off them. And um, what we want is West Ham. Yeah. So whatever permutation of results it takes to get West Ham down. That's what we want. Yeah. Sorry, West Ham fans, but I actually think Huddersfield are the most likely. Yeah, I agree. They just—it's just a. I watched um, or it's the highlights of their game, and they look kind of devoid of confidence. Mm. And um, there, I was with, it was in the pub on Sunday with a Huddersfield fan, who, and she goes to every single game, and and she's she's optimistic, but like realistically, they they're struggling to defend, and they don't score. They score the f- fewest goals, I think, in the yeah. league. So, um. How are they going to get points against Arsenal, Man City and Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have thought so, would you? No. Let's hope that Huddersfield stay on 35 points and that Southampton can get three points and also more our, from the last three our games. Our goal difference. So much better. We were on, I think, minus 19. I think Huddersfield yeah. was minus 29. Uh, we've got phenomenally good goal difference. Much better than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, if we can get three points more than Huddersfield in the remaining three fixtures, we will stay up. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. Yeah. Although potentially Stoke could stay up. They've got Swansea and Palace. God. Yeah. So we also need to keep three points that which is basically good. Basically, if if we win against Everton and Swansea, we're totally safe. If we get a win and a draw, I think we're safe. If we get a win in one of those games, there's a chance a minute chance that we could stay up with three more points. Are we going to do it? 
that's my question to you, Tom Parker. Yeah. Jason, are we going to stay in the Premier League? Yes. <laughs> Not convincing. <laughs> well, we won, but to be fair, we were a little lucky. Yeah. But you got to have luck. Right. Everyone's got luck. Good teams make their own luck. Someone clever said that earlier. Yeah. John. <sighs> I think I think we're going to do it. Oh my God, what have we done? Should I just say we're not going to do it as yeah. so that we don't... We have to do it though, don't they? Yeah. I mean, they so we this don't group of players has it. to do it. They've got no choice. And I think, I do think Saturday seemed to be a turning point. Yeah. Um, you know, and let's, let's push on. Let's go to Everton. Let's shut the crowd up early. Let's get them booing Allardyce, get them booing that team and bully them. Let's get three points against Everton and my God, the world's going to feel like a better place, isn't it? The one thing that makes me nervous is that we beat them 4-1. A few years ago, yeah. No, earlier this season. Oh, that was season. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that was November. Yeah. It was the week, November, I got, yeah. week I got engaged. That yeah. was the last <laughs> high win. point of the season. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes me nervous. Yeah. Because they may want revenge. Let's see. Anyway, so um, on that bombshell, Saints are staying up. I think it's time to wrap up the podcast for another week. I did write a poem about oh, the yes. match. Yes, you did. This is going to be I good. I totally forgot about this. Jason. Right. I think we should say our goodbyes and we'll just, we'll pan out to the sounds of Serene Jason sound. reading his poem about his, his game at Southampton. So, uh, yeah, well, cheerio from me. So, thanks very much for listening from me. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, oh and, and, and do do get in touch and tell us what you think about Jason's poem and all the other things that if you've you're heard a literary on the agent Super and Girls. you're interested. Yeah, he's available. Yeah, I think if you hear him on this podcast, do we get some sort of cut on that? If it's in the got future, to be worth yeah, twenty percent. Yeah, we? yeah. All right, let's see, Jason. Go take it away. The crowd was stirred and sad, except the lone lad whose voice rang bad. Put in Shane Long, you haggard old cad. Little did the boy realize Shane Long was in the team. But despite his fuss and fight, there was not a goal to glean. To Austin his attention then turned, all for a goal he did yearn. But the ball his boot could not find, and so his ire burned. But as the pitch roared and rayed, the lad more concerned became. And though the team was fighting hard, no victory was there to claim. But then arose a giant most grand... Dusan Tadic rang through the stand. As goal and goal he drilled home with his might and skill displayed. All the crowd did cheer him on again. After months his name they flayed. Hope arose within the lad as the pitch more heated became. And so he clung with all his will to the thought of a victory thrill. But one task was left to be done. The defense wobbled and shaked. And though the subs came on in force, the chance of a win seemed faked. Then we saw the man once forgot who smacked his gum resolute, and in the waning minutes he cried as his hand sang the song of a lute. Victory was in that save, and save a season it did. This match was more than just a game, it saved a city it did. And all cried out in voices won, we march on, we march on.